Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name's Tom. Uh, as Stuart said, I'm one of the curates here. I'm going to try and find somewhere to stand where it's, it's like lights in every direction. So I don't want to kind of look like some horror show or something. But equally, I don't want to be blinded. Is this okay if I stand here? Yeah, I've not got half my face in shadow. Excellent. Um, is it right? Can we just have the house lights down a touch? Is that okay? Thank you. Brilliant. It's good to be with you this evening sharing on this really interesting topic, how to deal with disappointment. I don't know how I drew this short straw, um, but I'll do my best. Um, I want to begin with a question. How do we cope when God doesn't answer our prayers? If you're anything like me, not very well. Um, you may know that I've, uh, I've been in Claygate since uh, July last year uh, when I moved with uh, Megan, my wife, and our two young daughters from where we were in Dorking. And now Dorking isn't that far away. It's not a distant move geographically. It's all of about 15 miles, I think, if that. But we knew it was going to be tough. Uh, tough because we were leaving behind a kind of support network and somewhere we'd been for a long time and long-established friendships and, and family relationships and a church that we'd been part of for a long time. So our prayer moving here was, God, just please let this um, transition be easy. Let all the practical things, and this was the big bit, all the practical things go as smoothly as possible. And a, a couple of weeks after um, moving, uh, Megan had been back to talking to see her parents, and she was driving home. Uh, and uh, as she was approaching a roundabout, she bumped into the car in front. It was all fine. It was really one of those really minor things. Um, it was really slow speed, everyone exchanged details, no one was hurt. Um, but it meant a load of fuss with insurance companies and like, I don't know if you, like, this is a bit of a rant, but like cars these days, like the tiniest scratch is cost like a fortune to sort out now because there's so much technology on, on a car. It was a minor thing, but it was expensive and annoying. And then the next day of the same week, our one-year-old uh, girl, uh, Ella, had um, a nasty rash on her leg, so Megan wanted to try and get it resolved quickly, so she took her down to Boots uh, in the village here just to get some ointment for it. But typically, um, you can all relate to this, there was no parking space outside Boots. There never is, is there? Somebody always gets in just before you. Um, and it was in the height of summer. It was like, do you remember last summer? It was like 39 degrees or something ridiculous. Megan was also two months pregnant at the time, so she was feeling pretty horrific. And she had two screaming kids in the car, and she just needed to get it sorted. So she dumped the car on a yellow line. There was the mistake. Uh, and she went in to get this cream, and she came out, and there was the dreaded envelope, yellow envelope of terror on the, um, on the windscreen. Yet more money we had to shell out uh, and more fuss to pay the fine. And to add insult to injury on the way home, um, our four-year-old from the back of the car piped up, Mummy, do you remember when you drove into the car the other day? You can imagine Megan's reaction to that. Thankfully, the week picked up to cheer us up after our car-related mishaps. I decided that as a nice kind of moving-in gift to us all as a family, I was going to uh, go and invest in a new TV. Now, I don't know about you, but watching films is like a really big thing in our house. So I was like, I want to go out and get a really nice kind of 4K smart TV. So I did my research. I ordered one. It arrived. I set it up straight away. I just, you know, as soon as it gets there, you just have to do it, don't you? Get it out of the box, rip it open, set it up. 
uh, and it was all working nicely, the picture was beautiful. Only problem was the sound wasn't working. So I thought, okay, there must be something wrong here. There's a loose connection around the back. So I reached around the back of the TV to find out what's going on. And as I did so, I tilted it towards me. Fatal mistake. It toppled over and the screen hit the corner of like the TV cabinet. That was the result. Brand new TV, completely destroyed. The perfect end to a perfect week. Why hadn't God answered my prayer? All the practical things go smoothly. The only thing I'd asked for was a smooth transition. All I wanted was for everything to be easy. Why did God choose at that moment to give us an expensive insurance bill, a parking ticket, and a broken TV? To put it mildly, I was gutted. How did I deal with my disappointment? I sat on the floor of the living room in a crumpled heap with my head in my hands and uttered several words which I won't repeat tonight. Not a good model for dealing with disappointment. And now, the example might be trivial, but the point is important. How do we deal with our disappointment when God doesn't come through? Because it does happen, doesn't, doesn't it? All of us here tonight will have experienced that on some level. We wouldn't be Christian if we hadn't. And I'm not proposing to have all the answers tonight. This, these are kind of really big questions, and I don't know it all. Uh, but I can promise that we're going to use Jesus' example, this incredible example of this amazing prayer that he prayed in Gethsemane, to help us begin to understand this huge question. So turn with me to Luke 22, uh, and we will explore this together. First of all, we need to think about what's going on here. You might know some of the background. This is a very kind of oft-quoted passage of Scripture, isn't it? But just to catch up... um, we arrive in the story uh, immediately after the Last Supper. Jesus has been eating with his disciples. Um, Judas has left to betray him. And he knows that he's about to be arrested. And the next day he's going to go to his death on the cross to die for the sins of the world. Um, so he comes to this place, the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. And he takes three of his closest friends with him, Peter, James, and John. And There's so many things in this amazing prayer that we could pull out when we're thinking about how to deal with disappointment. I just want to focus on two tonight. Two things about the way Jesus prayed that might help us deal with disappointment. First thing, honesty. Give it all to God. You might ask, mightn't you? I mean, I kind of had this thought, why did Jesus even need to pray? He was one with God. He was fully God. Like the people who shouted up to him on the cross, you know, why can't you just kind of avoid this? Why can't you grow a pair of wings and fly away? Why can't you split the earth and swallow up your accusers? Why did he pray at all? Well, it's really helpful to remember that Jesus wasn't just fully God. He was also fully human. And actually, this is a really human response that we see from him. He's just as much human as you or I, um, if not more so. And he feels the same things that we feel. I can only imagine the kind of utter terror that would have been in his heart, the thought of what was to come. And we've all been in that place in some sort of way. Um, 
Perhaps you've sat on the edge of the, your bed the evening before a dreaded exam, thinking that you don't want to go through with it. Maybe you've been waiting on a, on a hospital ward before a really kind of important operation, just wishing that you could walk out. Maybe you've been in a waiting room, knowing that you're about to go the other side of an office door and hear some news that might change your life. Whatever is next, you know you've got to do it, but everything, everything in your being is resisting it. So what's your response? Do you put on a brave face? Tell God you trust him? Maybe you tell God how faithful you've been, you know, you've been a good Christian, how much you've honoured him, and you say, come on, please, I've earned some help, come and help me. Maybe you play it cool. You don't pray at all, because if you ask for God's help, it's, it's too big a thing, it's too big a thing to risk about being disappointed. But what does Jesus do in this passage? He starts by being honest. If we look at verse 42, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Now, out of context, this statement's a bit odd, isn't it? When he talks about cups, where does it come from? Um, well, in the Old Testament, um, the, the cup of wine was a metaphor for God's wrath against humanity's rebellion and sin. So that's all the things, that, the selfish things that we do that separate us from God. And Jesus knows that in order to save us, he has to drink that cup of wrath because that's what takes our sin away. And that was going to mean being separated from the Father, the, the Father that he had been one with since the very beginning of time. I can't comprehend how unbearable that prospect might have been. You know, there's one thing thinking about the physical pain and ordeal of the cross and actually dying. It's another thing to think about being separated from the one that you've been with even before forever. But let's be really clear what Jesus is saying here when he's saying, take this cup away. He's asking the Father for a way out. He's saying, don't let me have to go to the cross. I can't honestly think of a more human thing to do. And that's the first reason why this prayer is so huge. This is Jesus, who is one with the Father, admitting that he doesn't want to do the Father's will. He's praying like, unbiblically. How dare he? That's not in the textbook, is it? He's meant to say, God, give me strength for what I know I need to do, or Lord, I've been so faithful. I've done everything you asked of me. I'll trust that you'll give me a good day tomorrow. Instead, he cries out to his father and he says, please, I don't want to do it. He doesn't care that the father might not say yes. He just says what is in his heart. I don't want to do it. Are you that bold in your prayer? I know I'm not. I remember a few years ago when um, I worked in the police, uh, I applied for a promotion, and I worked really, really hard for it. Um, and in the lead up to the day of kind of when I knew I was getting the result, outwardly I was really blasé about it. Um, <clears throat> I, I put up a front to my boss and said, you know, I'm not that bothered whether I'm successful or not, you know, it's fine. And I think it was some kind of weird self-protection thing. If I didn't 
let on how much I wanted it, then I wouldn't be that disappointed if I didn't get it. And when the day came to get the result and my boss came and told me that I hadn't got it, I hadn't made it through, all of my pretending not to care didn't make me any less disappointed. I remember my boss saying to me, I can see in your face how gutted you are. I should have just been honest from the start. Pretending not to care doesn't help. We need to be honest in our prayers when we're coming to the Father. We need to give it all to God. So first thing, we need to be honest. That's the first thing we learn from Jesus' prayer. We need to give it all. Second thing, we need to submit. We need to give it up. Look at the second half of verse 42. So immediately after desperately praying this prayer of like, Father, let me avoid this thing that I know I have to do. What does Jesus say? Yet not my will, but yours. And this is the really hard part because it means acknowledging that we're not in control. We don't know better than God. It means admitting that we might not like the outcome of what we're going to pray for, but we'll still trust him. And this is where the rubber really hits the road, I think, isn't it? A couple of years ago, when our oldest daughter was very little, she got sick. And it was one of those really kind of awful occasions where it went from like just a stomachache and a headache. In the space of an hour, it went from that to like um, unconsciousness um, and a, a kind of soaring temperature. And at the time, we lived somewhere that wasn't kind of too far away from the hospital, so we just bundled her into the car, and I just kind of put my foot down, basically. And I remember praying on the way to the hospital, God, I love this little girl more than everything else in the world, but if she is taken away from me, I will still choose to follow you. It was the hardest and most kind of horrifying prayer I've ever had to pray. But submission means that. It means truly saying, your will, not mine. We give it up to God, whatever the cost. But hold on for one moment. There's, there's a big fat elephant in the room. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, we've heard this question so many times, why doesn't he answer every prayer? What if Jessica hadn't got better? Why are we reading every day as we pray for tonight's stories of coronavirus spreading all over the world? Why do parents lose sons and daughters every day to acts of senseless violence and road accidents and illness? These are really tough questions, aren't they? And the honest answer is we, we just have to say we don't know. Some of these things could be a natural consequence of living in a broken world, some of them could be a direct result of the force of Satan, the enemy who opposes God. And some of them could just be because it's part of God's plan. We don't know. Pete Gregg goes into a lot of detail about this in the How to Pray book. So if you're following, uh, if you're following that book, I'd really encourage you to read this chapter. If you haven't bought the book, I, I, just, I really recommend it. It's, it's really helpful. I'm not going to go into too much detail tonight. But he breaks those three areas down really helpfully. But whatever the reason, we know that God, the creator of the universe, 
in his wisdom, is allowing this to happen. It doesn't mean we understand why, but we still have a choice about whether or not to trust him. In submitting to God, we say, you know better. His purpose is higher than ours, even if it means pain and suffering and disappointment. And that's what Jesus is doing here in this prayer. He's not saying he's happy about what kind of lies ahead of him. That would just be That wouldn't be being honest, going back to what we were saying before. But he's saying that he trusts that the Father's plan is right. He's saying, even if I have to do this thing which is totally unbearable, I will do it because you asked me to. He submits. He gives it up. And there's a danger here, isn't there, that we read this account with hindsight and we go, oh, well, you know, of course... Of course, it was like the right thing. It was worth it. You know, this was, this was the way that actually Jesus kind of saves us from our sins. It makes sense. He had to do it. And the problem with that is that we don't have that luxury in our own lives because we can't see the future. But you know what? We might not know the future. That's true. But we do know God's promise over us. Paul tells us in in Romans 8 that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. That's us. All things. And knowing that helps us deal with our disappointment when our prayers seem to go unanswered. There's a reason that this is happening, even if we don't understand it. And it's still okay to be disappointed, even distraught, when we don't see the answers that we really desperately desire. Just like I was when I was overlooked that time for promotion. But if we do these two things that Jesus modelled when we pray, that will just help us trust in God, even in our lowest moments. Be honest. Give it all. Submit. Give it up. And I want to end tonight with some really, really good news. Really good news. If we do these two things, if we give it all and we give it up, God gives us himself. Can you imagine what's going on in the Father's heart when Jesus is begging him not to go to the cross for a way of avoiding it. He must have been torn apart. He must have been beyond broken. This was the Father's eternal plan to kind of bring all of creation back to himself, to bring his lost children back to himself. And and the Father and Jesus, the Father and the Son, both knew that there was no way of avoiding it. There was no way out. This is the plan. The father couldn't say yes to Jesus' prayer. Take this cup away from me. That would have meant abandoning us, humankind, to our sinfulness. But he could do something. He did do something. He sent help. Look at verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. 
It didn't mean that Jesus didn't have to go to the cross, but it meant that he knew the Father was with him, alongside him, walking with him, strengthening him. And that is a promise that remains true for us today. It's not just a a kind of special one-off for Jesus. Deuteronomy 31 says, God will never leave nor forsake us. Paul writes in Philippians 4, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then again in Romans 8, we read that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying, they're interceding on our behalf to the Father. And in the same chapter, we read that nothing Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Sometimes we have to go through horrible, awful experiences and we just don't know why. And it hurts like hell to think that God hasn't spared us from the awfulness. But Jesus' own great unanswered prayer shows us that no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are praying for, no matter how hard it hurts, God is always with you. That promise never fades. It never fails. And as I finish, I just want to end on one piece of even more amazing news. God has answered our prayers. He's done it in Jesus. By dying for our sins, Jesus has restored us to our Father in heaven. He's given us a future, an eternal future, living with him forever in a place where there is a promise of no pain, no tears, no disappointment. And until that day arrives, God calls us to trust him. Just as Jesus did, through good and bad, through rough and smooth. Be honest with him in your prayers. Submit to him and he will be with you. Let's give it all. Let's give it up and let's know that God gives us himself. Amen.